a breakthrough lover is a person who takes you to places you've never been before, including places you thought you'd never go. Once you experience sex with them, your desire and pleasure are forever changed. More possibilities open up. Jen was my first breakthrough lover. Tonight we are saying fuck yeah to queer memoirs. And so we have Tristan Terramino here with us. But first, I want to ask my gloriously dressed co-host, what is bringing you a fuck yeah right now, Robin? Um, well, besides wearing nearly every belt that I own, <laughs> I would say my fuck yeah is being out here, y'all. I only recently started doing events since, you know, the big old COVID. So it's nice to see you guys. It's nice to be out and doing things publicly instead of just locked in our little podcasting situations. So yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. yeah to being out here. Does anybody else have a fuck yeah they would like to share? Yay, yes. fuck yeah, you're here. Fuck yeah, to yes. being here. Thank, Thank you. you. So we have actually a gift card here for a brave audience member who wants to come up. We have a quiz, and if you've listened to the podcast, it should be pretty easy for you. But even if you haven't, you're going to get the gift card no matter what. Mm -hmm. So... This seat and this microphone right here is yours if you would like to participate in our four very simple, very simple questions. Are you coming up? Amazing. Have a seat. Here you go. What's your name? I'm Naomi. Hi, Naomi. Hi. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm glad I'm here. Yeah? This is my first time here, actually. Oh, welcome. So. That's so awesome. It's exciting. Have you listened <laughs> to the podcast before? I actually have not. Okay, great. Ooh, these will be fun okay, then. <laughs> yeah, so what, what brought you to the Pleasure Chest tonight? I was looking for sex-positive events in L.A., and I found this, and I'm like, Fuck yeah, I'm going. Nice. So, Love so it. here I am. That's great. We're so happy you're here. Okay. I'm going to start off. I am holding a 3D printed object in my hand for the listeners. Do you know what this is? I do. Oh, what is it? That's the clitoris. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I have a little 3D printed internal clitoris. Well, I mean, the external clitoris is on there, too, <laughs> with the legs and the vestibules. And this sits on my desk. Uh, so I brought it here to be with us tonight. That's fun. Do you know how many nerve endings are in the human clitoris? Oh, my. Um, I don't. I don't. A lot. Um, I don't know. A random number. 142. Oh, 100. Okay. No, there's <laughs> way more than that. So here's the thing that's amazing is, is it was just in this last year that they studied the human clitoris for the first time. Wow. So they've been saying that there are 8,000 nerve endings in the clitoris. That's incredible. But that was based on bovine studies. Cow clits. Uh, okay, yep. that's not us. <laughs> nope, it is not. There are 10,280 nerve endings in the human clitoris. Take that, cows. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was OHSU where they conducted the study. So thank God for those Portlanders. How would you tell the difference between a female and a male hyena? We're talking about the spotted hyena in particular. Y'all know this, right? Everybody knows what we're talking about. (laughs) I know absolutely nothing about hyenas. Um. (laughs) We're giving you a glimpse into the things that we talk about on the Fuck Yeah Pod. Robin, I think you have to describe this because you are the one with the fervor about the (laughs) spotted hyenas. I love spotted hyenas because they are, I think, I would call them trans animals. That sounds like a trans am, but a trans animal. (laughs) So the female spotted hyenas and the male spotted hyenas, you cannot tell the difference by looking at them. They both have penises and they both have testicles. The only way you can tell the difference is by squeezing their nuts and seeing if there's a testicle in there. The females will just have fat deposits in there. They give birth out of their penises. They fuck in their penises. And this is a matriarchal society where the males are the lowest on the totem pole. And the bitches are mean, okay? It's a hardcore society, and I just think it's exemplary. And one of the ways that we can actually see, like, an entire species that is involved in a kind of trans behavior. And yeah. I just admire them so much. So look it up. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. That's, so that yeah, the answer cool. is squeezing their nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do that. No, I don't recommend so anyone doing it, that. But it's nice to know. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. It's good to know what you know possibilities yeah. there are out there within mammals. Also, did you know, I'm just going to say this real quick. Okay. <laughs> hyenas, they're not dogs. They're more closely related to weasels than anything. They're oh giant. My trans weasels and i love them anyway that's all this is robin's favorite animal (laughs) this is my jam Um, i have a feeling we're going to do a whole episode dedicated (laughs) to them okay your final question that is standing between you and a pleasure chest gift card okay (laughs) whether you get it right or wrong all you have to do (laughs) is endure it yeah yeah (laughs) okay do you know what orgasm denial porn is yeah oh please tell us yeah like kind of like power play like dominant and submissive where like the more dominant partner is telling the submissive partner is well is allowing or disallowing like approving or you know denying um permission to orgasm i am very very impressed because when (laughs) i was posed with this question i believe on episode one (laughs) of the podcast i was like (laughs) i have no idea what orgasm denial porn (laughs) is but yes it is a dominant person speaking to the camera telling you what you can or cannot do with your body and having total control over your orgasm and it requires so much like suspension of belief and you know really engaging creatively with your porn and i think it's delightful yeah i think so too (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much thank you we hope that you will get something here on your first visit to the pleasure chest (laughs) thank you guys so much Oh, that's great. All right. So who here has heard of Tristan Taramino before? Yeah. Okay. So Tristan, oh my gosh. In addition to her awesome memoir, A Part of the Heart Can't Be Eaten, she has written, I am not going to read you all of the books she has written, but she has written Opening Up, The Feminist Porn Book, Ultimate Guide to Anal Sex for Women, Fifty Shades of Kink. She's been the editor of 
so many erotica anthologies, specifically lesbian erotica. She is the director of my favorite porn series called Chemistry, and she is the host of Sex Out Loud. And we are so happy to have Tristan here with us. Hello. Hi, Tristan. Hi. Thanks for having me. So, Tristan, we like to do a little warm-up because you know warm-ups are important, right? For every single thing, warm-ups are important, but especially for anal. (laughs) (laughs) So we like to ask the same questions of everybody because we're kind of doing like almost like a survey in a way. It's what it's turning into. So we're interested. I think we could actually... Market research. Yes, compiling Mm -hmm. data. And then releasing it and saying that we know things Mm -hmm. about things. We know stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Tristan, we're going to start you off easy. What's your favorite thing to wear right now, clothing or otherwise? I actually, the pants I'm wearing now, which are like a faux leather, like moto style, I have them in black. So I would say those black pants. What do those do for you? Well, they're like a second skin. Like they're super, super tight. So it's like being able to wear latex without all the sweating yes yes yeah and to be kind of naked but not naked yeah to leave little to the imagination <laughs> I love that. and also no underwear because you can't really underwear's decoration in my opinion <laughs> who was your first celebrity crush sean cassidy <gasps> oh the hair of it all sean cassidy was in uh, the hardy brothers on tv and i had a huge poster of basically it was like a headshot i mean i don't know why they didn't make it sexier but i had a huge poster of him in my room i love it such a time such a moment such a moment in time <laughs> tiger beat now i already know this because i read your book but for those who haven't read it what was your first mode of masturbation My first mode of masturbation was with my hand and on my stomach. Was it, it's like a combo of humping and hand stuff or is it the pressure? It's the pressure. It's like, I often masturbate with two hands because I like that much pressure on my clit. Wow. Yeah. Betty Dodson called you a clit smasher. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she did it's very it's a famous quote yes, <laughs> yes everyone knows a clit masher clit masher clit not masher. smasher just because you're supposed to masturbate for betty dodson and then she kind of like critiques you not in a mean way not in like a judgmental <laughs> way at all but just like okay so the breathing here's what can be improved and the noise here's what can be improved and she was like you're a clit masher meaning i'm like far on the end of the spectrum in terms of wanting pressure and a lot of pressure. Yes. Yes. So like a like a like a tiny little whisper at my clit doesn't really do anything for me. Like do you find that kind of light flicky oral sex really annoying? Not annoying as much as like as pleasurable as like walking my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Like, sure, this is a breeze, you know? Yeah, it's a a breeze. It's a breeze. Do you think that there is a difference between clit mashing and humping? Yeah, because I don't really hump. It's more like I press. Like you don't thrust into your mashing? No. Oh, okay. It's more like I press really, really hard against my clit and then move it slightly, but not a lot of movement. I found so many similarities between us in your book, and now I'm realizing we mm. are actually different. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah. Great. I mean, the honeymoon period has to wear off at some point. <laughs> we have talked so much about humping on the show because I had a Cabbage Patch doll 
as a kid and my friend taught me how to hump the Cabbage Patch doll. Come to find out Dirty Lola, who we actually have on today's episode, also humped her Cabbage Patch doll. There was something about these heads that was so perfect. I think it's that little button nose with the little, <laughs> it's a scooped yeah. kind of bridge this of the is, nose. I, this is an off-label use of the um, Cabbage Patch doll that <laughs> is it I though? actually have never heard of before. <laughs> I mean, I want to run out and get one. I'm just, I don't know if they sell them anymore. I think eBay is the way to go. Ooh. And then yeah. I would I would wash uh, it. Yeah, yeah it might be pre-humped. It will, might be pre-humped. Yeah. By yeah. who yeah. knows what kind of yeah. child. We should sell them here at the yeah. Pleasure Channel. <laughs> I'm sure that won't be. Do they have vibrating heads yet? <laughs> oh, a vibrating cabbage patch doll head. Oh, that is a million dollar that's, idea that's right that's there. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I love this. Yeah. Okay. Somebody write that down. <laughs> so the moment I opened your book, there is a dedication to queer people everywhere. And I already got emotional <laughs> because I feel like we've known each other for a while, but I certainly knew you from your work before I knew you personally. And you've been sort of that beacon for me, showing me sort of what's possible in the world of sexuality. And so that inscription was written to me. Like, I just was like, okay, I'm going to dive in. I'm going to be taking my notes. This is my little notebook that I have all my notes in. But really, your book is a love letter to your dad in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a love letter to yourself, too, I think. But your relationship with your queer father is so present throughout the book. So what made you decide that now is when you wanted to tell that story? And, like, what was your process of starting to write this book? Yeah. Okay. So... I think even a year, my dad died in 1995. It's a kind of a spoiler alert, but I think it's even on the, just in the description, right? <laughs> so my dad died in 1995 of AIDS and it was, you know, one of the most defining moments of my entire life. And probably a year later, I was like, I really want to write about my relationship with my dad. And then I was like, but instead I'll write a book about anal sex. <laughs> And now I'm going to write another book about sex. And why don't I write a book about open relationships? So I kept myself very busy in order to basically avoid writing the book that was sitting on my shoulder for decades. And then I decided to just do it, which <laughs> is it's like really hard. But basically, I emailed my agent, who I've been with for 25 years, and I said, I'm writing the book, which needed no explanation. And then I, you know, I hit send. And then I was like, oh, shit, like now I have to write the book because I, I told <laughs> yeah. him I was writing the book. So now I like have to write the book. Yeah, you told on yourself. I did. And so I wrote a first draft of the book and then COVID hit. Mm. And I had a lot of time on my hands, like a lot of time on my hands. So I did a major, major revision on the book. And I had the time to just kind of like sit back and really kind of dig deeper into it than I think the first draft was. So it's partly that it felt like it was time about five years ago. And I just said, I'm going to do it. And then COVID came and I felt like I had this opportunity where, that I had to take. Yeah. From the moment I opened it with that inscription, it made me think of just like the importance of telling our stories. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a lot of what drives us to do this podcast is like having people tell their stories that you wouldn't hear otherwise of like all those messy parts of yourself and your history. And this book is definitely 
that. Like it is, it's all the things and you let it be messy in some parts, which is really nice. I like to say I take responsibility for my bad behavior. (laughs) (laughs) I don't pull any punches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's all in there. It's all in there. Um, Including a lot of sluttiness. A lot of sluttiness. So my God. Slutting it up. I was like, Tristan, you are more of a slut than I even knew. Wow. That's a lot. And also just to be clear, this book ends when I'm 31 and so there's two more decades. The next memoir will cover my 30s and 40s and early 50s, and I'm still slutting it up. Yeah, no, I had a feeling that there is another book. It gave me part one vibes. It, it was very part yeah. one vibes. Also, because no one's going to publish like a 600 page. <laughs> I mean, they're going to publish if it's like Barbara Streisand's memoir. They're going to be like, yes, give us give us everything, but not yeah. not for a typical yeah. publisher. So. One thing that really struck me was the multi-generational queerness that I think that we're only really starting to witness. Your father was one of, you know, that first kind of generation of like mass coming out. Mm -hmm. And it was really difficult for him to come out, but then to be able to be open with you, like you really grew up in a queer environment more queer than a lot of people had experienced up to that time yeah I mean that's the thing is both my parents had queer friends also what I would call gender fluid people were in my life Um, we have a lot more language now to describe them so I don't want to be ahistorical and be like that person was non-binary because Mm -hmm. we didn't have that word then but and so yeah I knew gay and lesbian people and then also there were role models you know what I mean there was on our backs magazine there was the advocate there was Mm -hmm. out and so I saw gay people represented in the media not a ton of them but certainly enough of them to feel like oh okay I like I I belong to a community of people and he did not have that at Mm. all and so he he came out in 1972 I came out in 1991 so there's a good there's two decades there And there's a lot of contrast to the really intense homophobia Mm -hmm. that he experienced from his family, from the church, from his peers. And I just, I didn't have a lot of that. I I went to Wesleyan, which is like the gayest place on earth. (laughs) That's not in the catalog. And they don't say it on the tour, but it is. And that's not even why I went there. I just, (laughs) I just trusted my gut. I got Mm -hmm. into a bunch of schools and I was like, it's Wesleyan. And then now I can't imagine going anywhere else. Like it's, totally made me who I am. So I came out to a place where lots of people were queer or at the very least questioning their sexuality and were sexually fluid. And it was a totally different time. And then, you know, 20 years later, there's like gay proms and like a gay straight alliance at my actual high school that I went to, which I could never have imagined. So and then, you know, Will and Grace and RuPaul and all all those things, all those that came later. But we, we continue to see this kind of visibility it just it it just gets bigger and bigger yeah and it's shifting and changing so much right now in Mm -hmm. particular I think so my uncle was gay and so I felt a lot of like kinship with your experiences of you know like I have a photo of myself on Christopher Street West I think I must have been like nine years old my mom would know she's sitting right there (laughs) but I remember when my mom told me that my uncle Andy was gay and I was devastated because to me that meant he was gonna die Mm-hmm. You know, this was probably like 1990, 1991. So there's a page in your book where I started jotting down all these amazing references because you're describing someone as looking like 
earring magic, Ken, which we all know who that is now. Thanks <laughs> I to know, the Barbie. I know, it was very timely, but when I wrote yeah. it, Barbie wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like Ducky from Pretty in Pink and Lenders Onion Bagels. I was like, yes, Lenders <laughs> Onion Bagels were so 90s. And then your dad's friend's kid says to you, what is it like to have a gay dad? And you're like, my dad is gay, my dad is gay, my dad is gay. And, you know, you're trying to play it off like you know that your dad is gay. Right. Can we say also that you're in your dad's apartment where there's no women around. You're going to drag shows. You're in P-Town. You're in Provincetown. Town. Yeah. So, like, all the... He's never remarried. Like, basically all those things, like, played in front of my eyes, which is like, wait a second. Drag shows. He works at a leather store. He lives in Provincetown. Wait a minute. Like, there's a lot of gay and friends. Like... He loves Barbara Streisand and Judy Garland <laughs> and musical theater. And I was like, oh, this like really explains a lot. <laughs> but it yeah. wasn't until that very moment when someone else said it. And of course, he said it absolutely thinking I knew. He, he was not yeah. outing my dad. Yeah. Yeah. He was actually younger than me. He was 14 years old. And he was just like trying to bond with me because his brother was gay. Yeah. and My dad was gay. And I... I was just, I was like entirely unprepared. I mean, I, I barely sort of processed it. And then I just acted really cool. Like, oh yeah, I mean, I have a gay dad. No big deal. No big deal. And it's a funny story in the book because leading up to that, some people may be like, hey, I think Tristan's dad <laughs> is gay. Yeah, I mean, I think people are also thinking, like, Tristan is definitely gay, because there's so, I mean, we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> there's so many little Easter eggs um, that are great. But the thing that stood out to me, and I guess I my question is looking back on it, because there's, like, this crystal clear memory that is coming through. Like, I was writing all those references down, and that's the moment where you learned that your dad was gay, and was that a trauma moment for you? Because sometimes when we have these moments of trauma our memory either is really fuzzy or it can also be that just like crystal clear moment in your brain. You know, Boomer was the nickname of the kid who asked me and I have not seen him since I was 16 years old. And I can remember precisely what he looked like. I could, you know, pick him out of a lineup. I could get a sketch artist on this right away. Like I wow. crystal clear picture of him and I haven't seen him since the eighties. So I don't know if it was a trauma as much as it was just such a critical moment in time. It's like, I remember looking at the wall and, and there was actually, <laughs> there was actually a framed photo of Betty Davis. <laughs> You're like, I, I should like, have known. Oh, okay, that might be a clue. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's like, I, I remember I remember every single detail. Like, it's crystal clear to me. I also have a really, really good memory. Mm. I did journal a bunch, especially when I was in P-Town, although I didn't journal that moment. So there's other really specific details, which luckily I, you know, wrote down. Because, like, there are times when I, like, say, like, what I had to eat, and it's because I journaled that. But also, it's really funny because the story before that is about like two gay men having a really sexually explicit conversation in front of me. Yes. And I remembered, and so I, but I remembered exactly what we ate because when I journaled about it, I first said 
this is what we had for dinner, <laughs> which is so random because that is not the point of the story. Yeah. This all. is what we had for dinner. And also so-and-so had come on his stomach. Yes. <laughs> and I had questions. I had questions. Because you talk about the 80s and there was like a lot of blackout of any queerness. I mean, we did get a fair. I remember seeing Boy George on MTV mm-hmm. and that I was like blown away of yeah. like, this is allowed, you know, but in your life, you had a lot of gayness around besides obviously that we can all see your dad was gay. <laughs> your dad was gay. Just realizing this now. But also, when you talked about Sayville, which is the little town in Long Island where the ferry picks up for Fire Island. You lived there. You <laughs> saw a parade of gays every summer. And I I, I only spent one year in New York, mm-hmm. but I spent a good portion of it in Fire Island. And I remember going in uh, on the train, mm-hmm. taking the little bus, mm-hmm. and just wondering what did these people think? It's like every day of the summer is a gay pride parade yeah, going is. through no, Sayville. It, it absolutely is. And, and also, there's many parts of Fire Island, but the ferry to go to the two gay parts of Fire Island, yes. the Pines and Cherry Grove, left from Sayville. So like two towns over, there was a ferry in Islip, for example, that mm-hmm. went to other parts of Fire Island. But Yeah, the boring part. My, my, <laughs> <laughs> and then also, it's not just your dad, though. Your mother had queer friends. Yes. And I loved your description of Chicky. Okay, first, their name was Chicky. And I would love for you to just read a little bit about Chicky. And they're in the 80s gender expression that you yeah. got to witness just casually in your house. Also, as far back as the 70s, Chicky was in my mom's life from the time that I was born. So I remember him since I was a kid, right? Mm-hmm. Like He was always there. Okay, I'm going to read a little from the yeah, book. And this to me is queer history. You know, these are the individuals that we don't hear about very often. And it's important that we recognize that this queerness has been around for a long time. Okay, so I'm just going to read a little section here. He said doll at the end of his sentences, like, get me another cup of tea, would you doll? Imagine meeting Jonathan Van Ness in the 1970s. Chicky worked as a guard at a psychiatric prison on Long Island, which was strange to me since that sounded like a very scary place where you'd have to be really tough. He was tough, but His toughness was very much on the inside, and I was pretty sure the only people who knew him for a long time, like me and my mom, could see it. He said he went to work in something called butch drag. Long Mm -hmm. before I'd ever heard terms like genderqueer, non-binary, and gender fluid, there was Chicky, my mom's fabulous friend. Mm. I love Chicky. Like, and you describe like some of the outfits that he would wear and everything. And just like, he was his own person. He had this incredible long hair, like Auburn hair, just like shiny and beautiful. And his mustache and goatee were just like really neat. I mean, it was just like totally symmetrical. He just obviously spent a lot of time on it. Um, and he would wear these like blouses with jeans, but the jeans were really tight and would show off his ass. And then he'd wear like a wedge heel Ugh. and he wore <laughs> women's perfume. He wore Shalimar actually, which is very of the time. Um, thank you for that. And no one, there was no, never any point at which someone said to me like, you know, Chicky's like different. I mean, I knew he was different from any man that I had in my life, Mm -hmm. right? And that there were these different kinds of masculinity, clearly. But no one ever said, like, 
Chickie's a fag or Chickie's fruity or any of those kind of put downs. I mean, I can remember in my junior prom, everyone met at my house for pictures first, you know, before we mm-hmm. like get in the limo. And Chickie was like, oh, I must come for this. Oh, you know? Chickie. <laughs> you know, it's like, I must see the fashion. I must critique. Um, <laughs> and so Chickie was there and he was just like fussing over all the girls. And just like, tearing you down, just giving like, a harsh read. Does this no. cummerbund really match? Did you really do your homework <laughs> on this? Mm-hmm. You know, and he was just fussing over them and just being himself and no one in my like friend group said like who is this guy <laughs> what, what's going on it's 1984 or something oh, I love <laughs> what that. was your mom's relationship like with chicky i mean they were really really close and then mm. chicky had had what was ostensibly his husband right who who he was with for decades and who was this older man so there's also an intergenerational relationship and he was really into decorating and you when you went to the house like every six months would be redecorated and they just were like a couple like to me when either of my parents said we're going to a couple's house I never assumed the genders of those people mm-hmm. because it was it, it could be anyone that's amazing that's yeah. a real privilege yeah. yeah yeah while you have your book out there is a section where you talk about your first girlfriend. Mm. I'm going to save the you know concept that you introduced here for you to read it because it's so good. But I was just like, you gave language to me of like that first love that you have and their impact on you. And it almost like helped me to better integrate my past loves in a way because it's like, oh no, I have gotten things from all of them and Mm -hmm. it has made me a better lover, partner. And for me, certainly, like my first girlfriend was that thing that exploded my brain, my heart, like my whole being and pushed me onto my trajectory. Yeah. So will you read about Jen? Yeah. I mean, the thing to know just about Jen before I start is that we did a lot of things for the first time together. And so I sort of catalog all the things we did for the first time. And she was incredibly sex positive. And she just sort of presented me with a menu. She was like, here's the menu. Like, what are you ordering? And and nothing on the menu was riskier or edgier or kinkier or dirtier. It was just like, it's just like, it's all here. Like, what do you want to do? And I would just pick something from the menu and then we would try it. And so, and can you set the scene of what year and age this might be? Um, so it's 1991, which means I am 20 years old. Oh no, but this is in the winter. So maybe I'm, I'm 19. I'm 19. (laughs) Um, You're a baby. I'm a baby. I'm 19. And she's two years older than me, which in dyke years mm-hmm. when you're in your mm-hmm. 20s is very is a lot yeah okay so i'm just i'm gonna start right in the middle which was one of the things i did for the very first time i had no idea how getting fucked in the ass would change the course of my life <laughs> word six years later i'd write an entire book about it she stoked that fire first i vaguely knew what sm we called it sm back then now we call it bdsm was and i was curious but jen made it very real Jen topped me for the first time. I bottomed to her for the first time and we switched. 
you know, it was my first safe word. The first person to spank me was Jen. We watched gay porn together. She was the first girl I ever fucked with a strap on. She was the first girl I ever stripped for. Jen was the first girl I bought a tie for. Hmm. She brought me to buy my first pair of Doc Martens. I'm wearing Doc Martens tonight, so obviously that carries on. (laughs) She was so articulate about her desires and her politics, so sex positive that I could tell her anything. She was my lover, my mentor, my dyke teacher, and so much of who I am today came from her. More than a decade later, I would coin a term for myself. A breakthrough lover is a person who takes you to places you've never been before, Mm -hmm. including places you thought you'd never go. Once you experience sex with them, your desire and pleasure are forever changed. More possibilities open up. Jen was my first breakthrough lover. Yeah, it's so good. Robin and I both text each other, breakthrough lover! Breakthrough lover! Oh my God, breakthrough lover! (laughs) Because when you think about it now, then you can sort of go back and think of the people who in your life have created that space. Or it's something about the connection or the chemistry that somehow says, oh, yeah, I want to try this. And I and I never even considered this Mm -hmm. before. But, oh, now I definitely want to try it because I want to try it with you. And, And then you're on the other side of it. You can't you can't go back. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yes. Yeah. And I like that the concept of a breakthrough lover like. You know, someone can possibly be a comet who just Mm. soars through your atmosphere and it is just meant to be that thing that opens you up to all these other things. And I think that we're told that those people like our first loves are supposed to like be with us forever. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, that's not really the purpose of many people who come into your life. Although I would argue, I mean, she made me queer. She made me kinky. She was the first person to fuck me in the ass. She's kind of always with me. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think, though, that that you would have found that path with someone else? And I I mean, not to diminish what Jen means. I mean, that breakthrough lover is amazing. But I think I still would have been a kinky weirdo. You know, <laughs> yeah, I still think I would have been a kinky weirdo. Yeah, I yeah. think it's yeah. in you. It was. <laughs> well, that's the thing is, I always like joke. I know Jen. I'm still in touch with her, and you know, I always say when I introduce her to people, I say like, "This is the person who like turned me out." Mm-hmm. And Jen always replies, "She took to it like a fish to water." Right, right. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't that hard. That hard. <laughs> it's just sort of like really just took to it and ran with it well that is a perfect segue into some of these moments that i wrote down throughout the book because as a queer femme reading this book i was like oh my gosh like so many times i just smiled so big so your love of the show solid gold (laughs) (laughs) oh i was like yes so good you describe um because you were you rode horses Mm -hmm. the delicate leather straps that you controlled your horse with and i was like "Hmm." gay (laughs) (laughs) i feel like that might be a little bit of foreshadowing right there and you've got these early experiences with drag queens. You do this incredible analysis of that classic Katie Lang, mm. Cindy Crawford cover and like how for you it was quintessentially queer and not kind of like heteronormative role playing. And I just was like, yeah. I mean, that, I still have that magazine. In fact, they were fact checking something at the press and they were like, 
we think what you're talking about was a pictorial, but it wasn't on the cover. And I was like, <gasps> photograph, click, here it is. It was the cover. <laughs> I still have it. I still have it. <laughs> I remember this. I remember being like preteen when this came out and I was on a camping trip with my family and I had the magazine for some reason and I got the worst sunburn of my life because I read the entire thing. And it was the first time that I ever heard somebody, because I believe if it's the same article, Katie's talking about their gender yeah. and how they express their gender. And I was like, like I, <laughs> I, I was like, I'll just be here all day. And no one was paying attention to me. And I got second degree burn on my chest, <laughs> but it was worth it. It was worth it. Yeah. <laughs> But you write later in the book that your queerness for you is not just about like who you're fucking, which I think is what is quintessentially what queerness is, right? You say it's your culture, your community, your politics, the lens you see through every day. Mm. And I was just like, oh, I love this so much because I think that there is this, I don't know, I guess I'm exploring in myself right now this idea that while my queerness might have some innate qualities, like I think I was probably born like sort of on that spectrum, like a little bit leaning queer, but that it is actually very much a choice and something that I have agency over. And my feminist is that too, like that intentional performance of gender is very much a choice. And it's because I want to be in the culture, in the community, in the politics, like that's what really fuels me. So I guess I'm just, there's a question in here, I think. <laughs> I'm just sort of curious, like what, your femme queerness means to you now? I mean, obviously it's really steeped in the book, but like, how would you articulate that? Yeah, I think it, obviously it's evolved and changed, right? So for example, when I first came into my queer identity, I was also coming into kink and I was a submissive and a bottom. And I very much was kind of wrestling with this idea of being femme presenting, but being a feminist and wanting to be in control and have power and not sort of lose my sexual power, but also wanting to be submissive, which I think a lot of people grapple mm. with that to this day, um, that they still feel kind of shame about their desires. Right. Mm -hmm. And you kind of, you, you probably hear that every day. I hear that every day from, from people, especially people who were assigned female at birth or identify as women and femmes. So it was very much like kind of wrapped up in that for me. And then I also was partnering exclusively with butch women. And so it was also very much about who I was attracted to and what my desire focused on and what I would call sort of this dance of butch and femme that feeds my soul essentially. And so as I got older, a couple of things shifted. One is that I found my dominant side and I really was kind of exclusively dominant for two decades. And so femme became like a different incarnation of me. And also, I then partnered with people who were trans, transmasculine, non-binary. There's also a gay boyfriend in there, a cis gay guy. Um, there's a little I chapter. Was, I was a little jealous of that one. I was like, <laughs> oh, I want a gay boyfriend. Mm. 
Yeah, he's also still in my life and around, and he lives in L.A. actually. And yeah, it was really fun to kind of introduce him to um, yeah. a bunch of my friends. I've tried to make that happen. I can never turn it over, but you turn well, that I, over. Here's the thing yeah. that I just want to say. It's like, it's very cool now for like queer people to just be with other queer people. But mm-hmm. this was 1998. <laughs> and really, people were like, I do not know what's happening yeah. here. You know, they're like, oh, so you're bisexual. And we're like, we're not bisexual. We were very adamant about it. Um, <laughs> How dare you? So then I'm then I'm partnering with people who are masculine but are but don't identify as butch and don't identify as women. That also sort of morphs and shifts how I think about my femme identity. But mm. for me, it's like my femme identity never goes away. And at this point, even if I had sex with or dated a cis guy. I feel so strongly like in my femme power that I don't feel like my queerness is erased in any way mm-hmm. or is called into question in any way because, well, first of all, if you're dating or fucking me, like, come on, <laughs> right? <laughs> you, 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 got, you're very you should queer. probably be questioning your own gender mm-hmm. and your own sexuality. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just for the straight cis men out there, yeah. um, How'd sorry, you get here? But yeah. yeah, how did you get here? Yeah. <laughs> How did you get here? And do you know where you are? Oh, you do yeah. know where you are. Okay. okay. So you've like, you, okay, now you're in. Okay. Well then, yeah, that's on you. Yeah. <laughs> that's a you thing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's changed and morphed. Also, it changes with time. It changes with place. The amount of time and energy I have to sort of like perform femininity, you know, varies greatly a friend of mine used to call herself a low femme Mm. and i feel like you know there has to be space for low femmes because the truth is like you know i love lashes and i love lipstick and i love i obviously i love all things glitter because i've totally glittered myself out today and also you know when i'm like at my house i'm in sweatpants and i don't have Mm -hmm. makeup on and my hair is a little bit of a mess and that's my low femme yeah right yeah i own so many sweatpants now i never saw this for myself yeah <laughs> yeah get your low fem on do you yeah. feel like your low fem really emerged in 2020 oh <laughs> no my low fem was was there before that oh, i mean okay. yeah because there was a time when i like wouldn't leave the house without makeup i mean yeah. really i can remember especially like in the 90s and 2000s like you know, in New York, it was like no full face all the time. There is something in the 90s like you were a monster if you went out without black eyeliner. <laughs> <laughs> you were hideous. Yeah, you were hideous. Yeah, that's, at least that's hideous. how I felt. Yeah. And like a full Mac, like bold lip, you know? <laughs> like, like, and I still can't, I like still Mac is trying to like persuade me to try a neutral. And I'm like, what's a fucking neutral? <laughs> my mouth is disappearing in my face. Oh, I love that. I like to make my mouth oh. either like black or just disappear no. <laughs> like no. i never even had lips no i always have lips uh, and a mouth yeah <sighs> wow that's good for you i'm I glad mean, yeah i love a good neutral actually but you gotta pair it with smoky eye that's okay. the only way to do yeah. it and see yeah. i'm like a maximalist so like <laughs> when i talk to like a makeup artist i'm like smoky eye a lot of blush and a red lip. And she's like, <laughs> so usually we, and I'm like, I know what you usually do. Yeah. So you want to go for full whore. Like, like they're like, you know, we, yes. do, we do individual lashes now. And I'm like, I want the strip lash. Yeah, yeah. If you don't have a strip lash, you better make those individual lashes look like a strip lash on me. You better get that glue out. I don't want any magnets. <laughs> oh, I love it. So I love this part when your book kind of culminates in this big anal gangbang. Mm-hmm. 
starring you. You know, it was really a tough choice because I know that <laughs> the gangbang or putting it in your book. <laughs> like my book culminating it. I feel oh, like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's sort of a trope of the of the memoir, right? It's like, oh God, and now here's Oh, and here's the, the gangbang chapter. Sure. Yeah. So I was just like, I don't even know. Should I include it? Because people are so used to that. Like it's predictable. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it was boring, but no, no, no. It was eye-opening <laughs> <laughs> and you really give a feel for I mean you talk about what it's like to be on a porn set but also you're trying to bring your feminist queer mindset to it and you're like trying to work with these like seasoned porn directors you're like negotiating cum shots and stuff you know and before mainstream porn had incorporated the female gaze yes. at all at all so yes. there it was like there's such a huge separation at that time of like the candida royales mm -hmm. and those folks who were making porn for women by women right that was like this little like tiny group over here yeah. but the mainstream folks were like mm -mm, what mm -mm. yeah mm -mm. What like about? porn <laughs> for women doesn't sell you know like all right. of that oh mindset. yeah and i heard all of that when i was pitching my movie and it's sort of a miracle that like one of the most mainstream publishers john stagliano like took a chance on me and was like yeah let's do this i mean it worked out for everyone you know yeah. he, i mean he lives in malibu now so yeah. <laughs> it, it, went it well. worked out so you wrote your notorious and well versed everyone knows i'm sure we have a copy here at the pleasure chest the ultimate guide to anal sex for women and then you wanted to make a video, video version yes yeah. okay. we called it video then it, it was on <laughs> tape so i love this part of the book where you're talking about the behind the scenes negotiations that happens with the porn actors with sex workers because there is a comfortability with talking about sex that is not what you see every day so mm -hmm. you said and i quote <laughs> conversations between sex workers are layered and fascinating and they demonstrate to other people how to talk about sex in a straightforward way and I feel like that's a lot of what we teach in general that's what we teach here at the pleasure chest you know there's all these things that we don't get to talk about we can't talk about pooping we can't talk about sex right and so and it's money. like and money and yeah. money don't don't talk about how much you make how dare you so you quoted them I quoted various porn stars that I've heard in negotiations on porn sets, some of them my porn sets, some of them other people's porn sets. Well, I loved them, period. So I, <laughs> I printed a few out. Oh, oh my gosh, okay, great. And I, I wonder if we could read a few of them just as an example of how conversations can go. Okay. Would you like to select casual, one? I, casual I conversations? Go ahead, I mean, these are one. the casual conversations I these have. These are quotes behind the scene on set. You can call me a slut, but don't call me a cow. Yeah, really helpful information to have, actually. Yes. I mean, yeah, I think boundaries because <laughs> I think like boundaries are physical, emotional, psychological, but also there can be language boundaries. Right. I, I like to be called these dirty names, but actually there is a there are a few things that are going to take me entirely out of the scene and I don't want you to call me. Exactly. Like cow. This one here is perfect for me. I should use this. If I get quiet, it doesn't mean I'm not into it. It means I'm concentrating. <laughs> okay, wait, wait. Good wait, to know. Wait, wait, Good Sarah. To know. <laughs> Maybe we are the same person. <laughs> because that totally yeah. happens to yeah. me too. <laughs> All right, well, I know this is not a Sarah thing. 
Okay. I like to start rubbing my clit from the very beginning. Ah. Mm. Yeah, no, no. No, not, no, no. Not no, Sarah, but I would not say that. I would. Would anybody <laughs> like to try one? <laughs> would anyone like to pick one? Come. Just look me in the eyes and I will let you know if you need to slow down. Yes. Good so job. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We yep. have one last one. Anybody want to read anyone it? Else? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Go ahead. Pretend you never learned the word finger bang. Don't <laughs> finger me hard. I hate it. <laughs> good to know. Good to That's know. That's a Thank really you. good one. That's a Thank really you. good one. That was, yes. I mean, I'm going to be biased here and say that like queer folks do really know how to use their hands very well. But um, sometimes cis straight men just don't have the touch. <laughs> and so it's like, and then, and then it's exacerbated by the fact that like we have this phrase finger bang, which is just so like strangely violent and yes. not sexy. And also many petties, you know, it's like, don't come at me with finger banging when you have like your cuticles untrimmed, fuck off. <laughs> so, okay. so, so I just like that the person was just like, don't do it. I don't have time to do like a tutorial on the set and tell you how I like to be fingered. So we're just going to forego that. Yes. I yes. love that they're like, forget you ever heard of it. <laughs> just pretend that it never happened. It never happened. It's not in your repertoire. Not no. today. Oh, okay. Well, we want to open it up to some audience questions before we do a little thing that we do at Thanks. the end. Okay. So if you have any question at all for Tristan or for Robin and I, or an opportunity to shout out a sex question in public, any questions? Yes. Okay. My name's Ashley. Hello. I have been reading your work for a very long time. When I was in college, you were one of the first sexologist names that I read. I have a very well-worn copy of the feminist porn book that is a very like highlighted. The whole thing is highlighted, but I fell out of it because of a trauma that I experienced and I kind of fell out of being interested in sex education, sexology, and I'm only just now like refinding myself after eight or nine years of like kind of being disinterested. And I was just curious if you had any words of encouragement or advice to get back into sexology. Ooh. That's a great question. Thank you. And thank you for yeah, sharing I that. I think you just won the questions of the night. Well, actually, you did win a prize. What you've won is... So in honor of my book being published, I did a collaboration with my favorite chocolatier, which is a woman-owned, ethically sourced, vegan chocolate maker called Lagusta's Luscious. And we did a curated box, which includes the only chocolate butt plug in the United States. <laughs> um, well, it's about time. And, and I know this because we really looked for a long time and we, we got the mold uh, from the UK. So I can't claim the world. <laughs> I can't even claim like the Western world, but I can claim in the United States. And so I will give you your box of chocolates. It's called the sex box. <laughs> and you know, the first person who asks the first question, I mean, it's, it, they're, it's hard. They're brave. It's really Bravery, hard. yes. Yeah. And that was a very vulnerable question. Yes. The first thing that I want to say is we are moving within sex education. We've been moving this way, but we are really moving this way to being more trauma-informed, mm -hmm. right? To the point where now pretty mainstream people know that phrase, right? I mean, queer people, dykes, feminists have been talking about trauma for a really long time. But now it's like you're a social worker and you have to take a workshop on it. And so having experienced trauma, I think this makes you more equipped and also even more relatable because we know that 
folks assigned female at birth, non-binary women, femmes. We know that all these folks experience sexual coercion, trauma, and violence to such a large degree. I mean, there, there are numbers, and I don't even think that those are mm-hmm. real because I think mm-hmm. that it's so underreported, right? So your trauma can be like one of your superpowers now mm-hmm. going forward. And when you're in trauma, that feels like the last possible thing that it could be. But I think for this moment in time, we have to be trauma-informed and, and talking at every level of every age about trauma when we talk about sex. We, we can't just now pretend it's like not happening. There's no other lens to look through, quite frankly. Like we, we live in rape culture and mm-hmm. that's not going away right now until we burn it all down. (laughs) And so I think that's an important piece. And then the other thing I would just say is don't let anyone tell you that like you shouldn't have a niche, right? So when I went to write my book, The Ultimate Guide to Anal Sex for Women, there are definitely people who discouraged me and they were Mm -hmm. like, Tristan, if you write this book and it's your first book, Mm -hmm. then you're going to be pigeonholed Mm -hmm. as like the anal sex girl. And so the thing is that kind of worked out in my favor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) First of all, I did diversify and write a bunch of other things, but when people in the media had to cover anal sex, Mm -hmm. they kind of have to call me because I wrote the book on it. And so I became positioned as an expert And I was kind of an early adopter, 1998. It wasn't in Cosmo, I'll tell you that. Um, No Teen Vogue stuff going on. No, there's no Teen Vogue, like, rimming. Oh, how Mm -mm. cliche. Rimming. How cliche. How droll. Oh, God, we've done so many pieces on rimming. What are we going to do? We have, oh, so many listicles just about butt plugs. God. You're going to do another one? So all that to say is don't, be discouraged from like really finding your lane. I think that there are so many people working in the sex field that it behooves us to kind of set ourselves apart and be known for some things. And it helps people find you Mm -hmm. quite literally. Like, you know what I mean? There are people often looking for something very specific, someone with very specific experience. And so as much as you can share your life experience in addition to your knowledge, I think that will serve you well. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Very nice. All right, everyone's had some time to think about their questions. Anybody else have a question for Tristan? Hi, thank you so much. My name is Vanessa. My question to you is based on like a comment that you made. How do you, like if I'm a submissive, like I enjoy just the idea of that, but because of my work and because of my many roles, like how do you psychologically transition? Because sometimes I feel like it's really hard for me. Like, you know, I'm a mom. There's so many different roles that I have. You know, my work is pretty intense. I see a lot of intense things. Like, you know, it's, so it's like I don't really walk around very vulnerable. Like I'm very caring and people feel that naturally, but sometimes when it transitions into my sex life, I have a little bit of a harder time being able to like be the person who I desire to be, whether it's being like submissive or or more like dumb. So how do you psychologically, like you seem so business forward, but then there's like all this like bottoming stuff, you know, like how do you do that? This is a great question. I mean, I am, I'm like a badass bitch. Like I, w- 
<laughs> I, if I say so myself. <laughs> I'm real bossy. I'm totally in charge. I'm running the show. So I think the transition can be hard for me, especially to bottom, right? The top is just an exaggerated version of that, and it's like already in me, so I, I'm just kind of eroticizing it more, right? Or exaggerating it or focusing it in some particular way, right? To slip into like a submissive space is, it is very vulnerable for me, very. And truthfully, you know, like I was a dominant for two decades and I didn't know if I was gonna ever switch again. And what goes around comes around. <laughs> <laughs> um, things are going very full circle. Like I have been able to express that side of me more. I think part of it is a partner and a partner who you really trust and someone who really sees me, right? Sees me and values me for the person I am when I walk in the world. And so it's easier for me when I feel like you get me in that way that then I can explore this totally other side of myself. You are essentially able to hold all the complexities of me. I think in terms of like a psychological transition, it's hard because, you know, if you're like on the phone all day or like working or like doing things, right, it's hard to then get into a space of play. And that's the thing, like in kink, we always talk about playing. Mm -hmm. Right. And it really is play. It's role play. It's experimentation. It's exploration. It's power dynamics. And we don't have access to a lot of that in our everyday lives. Right. Because adults are actually not supposed to play. We're supposed mm -hmm. to adult. And so sex can be one of the only spaces where I get to do that. And that means it's really sacred for me. Mm. It's, it's really sacred mm -hmm. because I can sort of shed these other expectations about who I am and what's expected of me and how people expect me to sort of behave. And when I can get into that space with a partner, it's like really freeing. It's mm -hmm. just really, really freeing for me. But I also have to give myself permission hmm. to go there. Hmm. Right? Yeah. The only thing I would add is, especially you saying you have kids and I have kids in there and we know like transitions are a big deal for them. And to give yourself that kind of same grace that you might give the kids of like, I had a hard day at work. I did all of this caretaking for my children. I want to have a fun, sexy evening where I get spanked and I can just let go and have a squirting, powerful orgasm. Like, that's all I want. <laughs> um, so I would just say to give yourself time to transition and maybe do some of the kind of like somatic embodiment type of things. I think a shower is a really great, like when you're getting ready, using that time to like, feel into your body, let the stress go, focus on what you want and how to get your body aligned with your desires, I think can be really nice also to give, it's like that caretaking before you're gonna do something sexy, like mm. spend some time being nice to yourself because you work hard, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna add to this too. <laughs> oh, you know, I gotta in. get in on it. <laughs> I'm actually stealing this from you, Robin, and we do a series together called Finding Your Meaningful Dom Sub Dynamics. There's an exercise that you can do. It is not my exercise. It is Robin's exercise, <laughs> but I'm going to explain it to you. Yay! <laughs> 
so there are DOM sub icons everywhere in the world, mm -hmm. right? Like we have these ideas of like, oh, like nurse, doctor, t uh, teacher, student. But in fact, there are really embodied examples of like dominant and submissive archetypes. So a couple that we talk about is like David Bowie has some real like gender fuckery in his mm -hmm. performance, but he's also kind of like you could embody him in a dominant way or you could embody his essence in a submissive way, right? What's another one that we like? Adam's family, At Morticia, Morticia and, Go and Gomez, Gomez is the most delicious bottom. Yes, um, num, 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 yes. Num, num, num. And then Nightmare Before Christmas, Sally. Oh yeah, Sally She's and such Jack. a devotional mm -hmm. submissive. So I think sometimes it's about like finding your icon. For me, it's Cher in Mermaids <laughs> because she is like a tough femme mom. She takes no shit, but she's still like so deliciously feminine mm -hmm. while being very dominant towards everyone around her. So when I'm trying to be like, okay, all right, I need to get into this dom space. That's who like I channel. And you can even just start out with like adopting some of their physical characteristics or how they hold themselves. And what happens is it starts then like living in your body in a different way. That's like a bridge that I have used mm -hmm. since Robin talked ah, to me. You're welcome. <laughs> Sometimes we've just got a pull from like the zeitgeist mm -hmm. and then that helps us to source it from within. Also, I, I want to now. I want to get back in. <laughs> <laughs> jump back in. Jump back in. <laughs> this is why we're here. Okay, great. <laughs> so this is picking up on something that Robin said, was, which is just about sort of ritual in order to mm -hmm. transition. And mm -hmm. one of the things I talk about in my fantasy role play class, and this is for non kinky people too. What I find helpful often is to have like a piece of clothing or a prop or a piece of jewelry or shoes or perfume mm -hmm. that I don't, Tristan Terramino doesn't wear. And so for me to then put on that thing, whatever it is, helps me then get into this other space. I think that's the effectiveness of collars. Well, yes. I you mean, know? the collar is kind of the most obvious yeah. of that. Like, I want to submit, I put the collar on. Or mm -hmm. my dom wants to play, they lay the collar on the bed, and that's our signal that we're going to start a scene. But I think it doesn't have to be a collar. Mm -hmm. I think it could be like a whole bunch of different things that then becomes imbued with this particular meaning. You mm -hmm. know, like you get a pair of stockings and you never wear those stockings mm -hmm. except when you're playing. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. we were talking about blowjob lipstick earlier. Right. And I had a kind of thing. This is going to be a good segue. I don't know where this is going. Okay. I had a lover that I would only wear this particular lipstick if I was going to give like a spectacular blowjob. <laughs> so it, w it became it became a signifier. So it's like Pavlovian after a while. Right. But something we've been talking about recently is also flexing your erotic muscle, you know, and the thing of like, a as you practice things, it becomes easier and mm -hmm. easier. So over time, I think also you'll be able to slip into it easier. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Look, you borrowed something from me. I did. Muscle See, memory. it's yeah. reciprocal. You guys are so cute. <laughs> okay. I think we can take one more question if there is another question from the audience, because these are fantastic. Any other questions? One last question. Anyone? Anyone? We could just go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I was going to say we could just answer any question we wanted. <laughs> oh, I can ask you questions. Okay. 
Do you have <laughs> questions for us? <laughs> okay, so my question, because now you've done, you know, you've done two seasons of the show. This is our 40th episode, y'all. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. 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 And you've talked to a lot of people yep. mm -hmm. about a lot of things. Yes. <laughs> if you looked back on the two seasons, like what's something that has surprised you? That's mm -hmm. your question. And your question is... Mm -hmm. um, Not bossy at all. What, <laughs> what have you learned from oh. a guest? Oh. Ooh. Just yeah. one. Yeah, Robin. Robin's been on quite a journey yeah. over these two seasons. This has been life changing for me. So um, what is the thing that has surprised me most? OK, well, when we started the podcast, I came to Robin. And I said, we need to do a podcast that is really about opening our community of people up to the world to tell our stories and through storytelling, teach people about sexuality and give permission for all of these things that we're talking about on like a, a daily basis. And the podcast is not <laughs> at all what I thought it was gonna be. I thought we were going to be doing like education and sharing our knowledge base. And it's become so much more, well, really queer-centered. Mm -hmm. You know, we weren't sort of unapologetically queer from the beginning. And now we're like, well, fuck this. Like, <laughs> everyone should just be queer who comes on the show. No, that's, I mean, we, we allow some non-queer folks. But Do we, though? Do we? I think Are they really? Have they slept with me? <laughs> <laughs> but I think that it's become a lot more about what is really essential to Robin and I, which is these intersections as parents, mm -hmm. as queer people, as very sex positive people, and like living through this world <laughs> that is so traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> and like how you survive and remain resilient and that for us, this like very vulnerable part of ourselves, our sexuality, is part of that resilience. So trying to really kind of dive into that as a source of healing mm -hmm. and growth. And so we sort of became this w like queer, spiritual, somatic, <laughs> mental health <laughs> podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what we're doing. Yeah. So everybody should follow, subscribe, <laughs> and like the Fuck Yeah podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so that was that was a revelation. Yeah. Uh -huh. What What have you learned? Well, okay. Oh. And you have to pick one thing. Yeah. Okay. Just like, the one thing. Yeah. For me, the biggest thing I've learned how much I have to learn. I thought we were going to impart some wisdom, and I was like, shit, I don't know, fuck all you know I'm just so we've had so many guests that have just blown my mind over and over again and the biggest lesson that I've had I mean we started the podcast right as I am like trying to come out a deep dark mental illness and so that's when we started and it has been incredibly enlightening and like such a huge part of my healing journey and a big part of it is getting connected with the body 
which I, all the somatic stuff has been revolutionary to me. It's the only thing that has started moving my therapy forward because I can talk about shit all day long, but to actually get my body to move forward, it's a somatic thing I'm doing in therapy. And then also we talk about constantly on the podcast, it comes up over and over again. And I just, and the permission giving, I feel like almost every guest gives me permission to do one more thing where I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> I can be this way or that way or whatever. Like we had a thing recently. We were with um, Samantha Fox, who is my, I'm like a TikTok fan girl of Samantha Fox, who's on TikTok and she's the lesbian curiosity coach. And I was like, I know what role I have with men, but what role would I have when I'm sleeping with women? And she was like, bruh, you don't need roles, okay? It's queer. And I was like, ooh, what? <laughs> what? I don't have a role? And I was like, oh. So it just, every episode kind of blows my mind. Yes, it has. And so um, the way that we end our episodes is offering an affirmation to our guests because we so appreciate the time you've spent with us. And this one is kind of popping out, so. Okay. Oh, all right, Tristan. I, I, maybe you need this, but I don't think you do. Fuck, yes, you can. Tristan's <laughs> <laughs> like. Listen, listen, we all need that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think what Robin just said is really important, which is that I can give myself permission mm -hmm. for a lot. And sometimes I actually need someone else to give me permission, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And and so I think everyone needs, you can do it. Yeah, mm -hmm. you can yes. do it. Yes. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I have one for the audience. Okay, this is a little interactive. Oh. Breathe in the good shit. Breathe out the bullshit. Uh, fuck that bullshit. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. So thank you. Thank all you so for much. joining us. Fuck podcast is hosted and produced by Sarah Tom Chesson, hashtag my mom, and Robin Jennings. Theme music is by she, her, sir. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would mean a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, or share with a friend. You can get in touch by emailing us at fyapod at gmail.com or find us online at fuckyapod.com. Thanks for tuning in.